Open your Bibles with me to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Let's look together at a scripture we've been looking at for several weeks now. We've been laying foundation. And uh, man, the Lord has been talking to us, sharing good things with us. If you've missed anything, especially in the last six or seven weeks of church, I encourage you to go back and get it. We've been in a series we're calling Complete in Him. I just like saying it. I am complete in Him. Anybody else like saying it? Why don't you do it with me? I am complete in Him. So if you've missed anything that we've talked about along these lines, and I encourage you to go back and get it, get caught up with us. In Colossians chapter two, the Bible says in verse six, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware though, watch out, pay attention. Lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. Everything that is in God is in Jesus. There is nothing left out of him. This is why the Bible says that Jesus was and is the visible image of the invisible God. Now, no man has seen the Father, Jesus said, but then he told people, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then one of his disciples, I think maybe it was Thomas, who said, Jesus, show us the Father, and that'll be sufficient for us. Can't you just see Jesus going, bro, I just said, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. Number one, that takes some confidence, does it not? To say that if, you, if you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. Yeah. That takes some boldness. That takes some confidence. Not arrogance, confidence. To say that everything God is, everything that God has, is in Jesus. And that's why the Bible says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because every blessing is in him. And if you've been given him, you've been given every blessing. And in my mind, it was like Jesus is, is just about to, to leave heaven and come to earth. And, and the Lord, the, the Father's just packing him full of every blessing, every blessing, every blessing. No, you don't get to go until you're full of every blessing, every blessing. And when he gave you Jesus, he gave you everything that God had to give. Everything God had because it was all in him. But then it goes on to say in verse 10, and you... We know this about Jesus, but now he's talking about you. You are complete in him. Just as Jesus was complete in the Father, you and I are complete in him. There's nothing left out. There's nothing missing. You are not a puzzle with missing pieces. You are complete in him. And this is your identity. And this is what we've been talking about for weeks now is our identity in Christ. And it begins with this identity, knowing that we are complete in him. Now, all this started back before the beginning of this year, when the Lord gave us that verse out of first Peter chapter five, 
And we've been talking about it, looking at it week after week after week. You remember what it says. First Peter chapter five, verse 10, may the God of all grace who has called us to his, according to his eternal glory, which is in Christ Jesus. He says, after you've suffered a while, may he perfect, say the rest of them with me. You got to know them by now, right? Establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's our word for this year and beyond. That's what the God of all grace is busy doing in your life, my life, and in the life of this church. He is perfecting us. He is establishing us. He is strengthening and settling us. And he's bringing us into the best shape of our lives to the place where you and I look at each other and we say, how you doing? And the answer is better than ever. Well, how can you say that? Because the God of all grace is at work in me. He's perfecting me. He's establishing me. He's strengthening and settling me. And it's bringing me into this place where I'm better than I've ever been. Amen. And we've been stuck right here at looking at what it means to be perfected. And every time you see the word perfect or perfected or perfecting throughout the New Testament, there's two or three different words that all get translated that way. But no matter which one you're looking at, they all carry with them the idea of completion, being completed. Whether you're talking about perfecting like that video I showed you a moment ago, what Brother Keith was saying, perfecting as in developing and growing up, study that word and you'll see connected to it, completion. Whether you're talking about being perfected in the sense of equipping, and we're going to talk some about that today, every time you look at it, Attached to it always is completion, completion. So when we think perfection, too much of the time we're thinking about, you know, flawlessness and this place that nobody ever can reach. When I turned that message on to Brother Keith yesterday, one of the first thing he said was, you know, you can get anybody in any denomination anywhere to agree with this statement. Nobody's perfect. I was like, hey, I, I just said that to my... Yeah. But it's true, isn't it? I mean, you can find people that don't agree on anything. But if you were to say, well, nobody's perfect, they'd say, well, yeah, well, that's for sure. Everybody seems to agree on it. But as for me and you, we're taking that out of our vocabulary. I'm done saying nobody's perfect. Number one, because somebody is, and it's Jesus. And number two, I have him as an example and I have instruction from him that says, look, you're never going to be above your master. The, the disciple will never be above his master, but everyone who is perfect will be like him. So what do we say to Jesus when he says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect? What do you say to him? Well, Jesus, nobody's perfect. Are you calling him a liar? I'm not. Raise your hand if you're calling Jesus a liar. Ushers, help me. Do I have any hands? No, I'm not. You're not. What does that tell us? It tells us maybe we don't understand exactly what it was he was saying. What he's talking about is our completion, our development, our maturity, our equipping. And in him, I'm complete. If my identity is in him, then there is nothing missing. I'm not waiting for more money or more stuff to complete me. I'm not waiting for material things to complete my life. I'm not waiting on the acknowledgement or the approval or the applause from an unbelieving world to complete my identity. I don't need it. Basically what Jesus said to the people was, I don't need your witness. We talked a lot about this. 
But I want you to go to the book of Ephesians with me and look at another scripture we've, we've uh, looked at a time or two in the course of this series. Ephesians chapter 4. And look with me at verse 11. Ephesians 4, 11 says, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now this is a reference to what many have called the fivefold ministry. What I'm doing right now this morning, standing in this office as a pastor would be in line with what he's talking about in this verse. You're familiar with this. And you, you know as well as I do that the Lord has put people in our lives. God has given us people as gifts, people who he's assigned to speak the word to us, to minister light and revelation to us. Now there's a bunch of preachers in the world. Am I right? That doesn't mean you and I have to go listen to all of them. It just means find out the ones that God has anointed for you. There are few that God has anointed specifically for you. One of the temptations, and I found this a lot, especially early on in ministry, 20 years ago when I started preaching as a youth pastor in my parents' church, and one of the first things that hit me when I realized I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to say something, I'm going to open the Bible and I'm going to preach, one of the first things that hit me was how big this book is. And right on the heels of that revelation was this one. I don't know enough. This thing's massive. And I got to stand up here and talk from it. And I, I, I felt this pressure early on that, say, for example, the Lord said, I want you to talk to those teenagers about love. I felt like I had to look at every single verse that was in this book that had anything to do with love. And then I had to go find out what this preacher said about it and what that preacher said about it. And what about this ministry over here that said this? And I found myself Googling my eyes out, looking for what other people had said. And the Lord finally got a hold of me. And he's like, I haven't anointed all those people for you. Look, here's three. You understand what I mean? Look, I've given you a very short list of, of people here. I've anointed them for you. Find out what they're saying. And it really takes the pressure off. See, he says here that, that he himself gave. There's that word charis, grace. These ministry gifts are a manifestation of the grace of God towards us. He gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and find out one of the most important things you or I or anybody will ever find out in this life really is two things. Who has God anointed for me and who has, and, and who am I anointed for? Does that make sense the way I said that? Who has God anointed for me and who am I anointed to help? Who am I anointed to serve? He said here again in verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. But notice verse 12, this is what we're for. <laughs> for the equipping of the saints. Other translations say the perfecting of the saints. The equipping, the perfecting. When he's talking to you about this perfecting, again, it's not a matter of flawlessness. It's not a matter of sinlessness after the flesh. 
This word perfecting has to do with equipping. And that's what these ministry gifts are all about. Whether it's an apostle or an evangelist or a prophet or a pastor or a teacher, what you and I receive from them has to do with our perfecting. It has to do with our equipping. Equipping. It's sad that people don't connect these dots. That coming and being in a service like this one isn't important enough to them. It's not enough to get them up. It's not enough to get them out the door. They don't connect the dots. The, the very most they can see to value it as some re- form of religious tradition. But what they don't realize is what's happening in here. What actually is taking place as you and I get together around the word of God, what's taking place is an equipping. What people don't realize is that they need some equipment. You need some equipment. He said for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Now listen to this for the edifying of the body of Christ. That word edifying just literally means building up, building up. I'm thinking about preaching something to you soon called bodybuilding. And it's about the growth of this body, the building up of this body. But notice where that comes from. It's a part of the equipping that you and I get from these ministry gifts, the equipment that comes. Now, what do apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers use to equip us? What do apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, pastors, I've got it mixed up. All those guys. What do, what do they use to equip us? It's the word. It's the word. As a pastor, the tool belt and the tool chest is really not that deep. This is what's in there. This is what's in there. I'm not standing here preaching myself, preaching just some experience I had, preaching theory, preaching tradition, preaching religion. I'm certainly not going to find out what all these random people theorize about God. No, this is what I reach for. This is where I go. This is what equips us. This is what we need. And people don't realize, first of all, like I said, they need some equipment. You're going to do a job. And if you want to do the job well, you've got to be well equipped for it. It's going to be frustrating if you get out there to try to do a job and you don't have the equipment you need to get it done. That is frustrating. Makes you want to quit. It makes somebody want to give up. If you just had the equipment you needed to do the job, well, then that's a different story. Then it becomes easier. Then you become more efficient at it. Then you become more effective with it. You get results out of it. Well, what made the difference? The equipment. And people don't connect these dots that, that if I'm not getting in there, if I'm not hearing that word, then I'm trying to do life without the equipment that I need to do it. And that's why people are living perpetually frustrated, trying to get the job done without the equipment. What's taking place in here right now is the equipping of the saints. What's taking place right now is the building up of the body. 
Now, I want to make a commitment to you right now. As your pastor, I'm making a commitment standing right here at this time on this day. Is that, and it's this, I will never get hung up by preaching to people that aren't here. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we talk about the body growing, the temptation is to immediately think more people. And listen, I, I have every expectation that this, this church right now, it's currently growing. I have ex every expectation that it will continue to grow. I thank God for filling up these seats. I thank God for adding people and services and whatever else we need. But the growth of the body doesn't start with just more people coming. The, the picture we have from the word of the body is the body. That's deep, isn't it? The picture we have of the body of Christ is the human body. Now, when we talk about this body growing, if, I, if, I'm you, if I've got my body growing on my mind, you know what I'm not thinking? You know what I need? Another arm. If I just had eight more toes, a few more ears, and like three noses, it's not about adding more parts. It's about the development of the ones that you've got. So when we're talking about this body growing, hey, yeah, bring the people. Lord, we call them in. Wonderful. But I'm more interested in the parts that are present, getting strong. I'm interested in the parts that are sitting in here now, getting developed, getting strong, stronger, and better equipped. That's the growth of this body. So look at another scripture with me in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to start in verse 10. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, You have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Did you notice he said this? You have carefully followed this. He's talking about how Timothy has watched him. Again, who has God put in your life? Timothy's not out there watching all the preachers. He's got one. He's got a man of God that God put into his life. And according to scripture, it's good that Timothy watch him, watch him. And the Bible is clear with us about this. I quoted this verse to you a moment ago about remembering those who have the rule over you, uh, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conversation. Did you notice how specific the scripture was right there about what it is you're supposed to be watching in them? Whose what? Faith. faith. Whose faith follow. That's, what's we're, that's what we're supposed to be watching. We get into trouble when we start trying to emulate every natural thing about their lives. We get into trouble and we start putting preachers on pedestals that they don't belong on when we start trying to look at them after the flesh and glorify them after the flesh. That's not what the Bible told you to look at. It said, watch their faith. Look at what their faith is producing. Paul said, you've watched me. You've watched my life. 
You have watched persecutions that I've been through. You've watched afflictions. You've watched how I've stuck with God. You notice he didn't say anything about how I've dressed. You're not watching how I cut my hair. You're not looking at the car I drive. You're not looking at the house I live in. You're not looking at anything after the flesh. You're looking at my faith, he said. Watch the faith. This is how we stay safe. He said to him in verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Reminds me of a series we preached in here. We talk quite a bit about this. He said, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. What's he saying? Consider the source. When you got pressure all around you and persecution all around you, you got to go back to what you taught and you got to go back to who taught it to you. And you got to answer this question. Is that the man or woman of God that he anointed for my life? If it is, I can trust that word. I'm not being separated from that word. I'm not disconnecting from that word. I'm feeding on that word. It's strengthening me. Amen. He said, you got to continue in this. But listen to this. The, the end of verse 14, knowing from whom you've learned them, Verse 15, and that from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now listen to verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That means it produces all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that, in other words, this is what the word does, that the man of God may be, say it with me, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What has the power to do that to a man or woman of God? The word. It's the word. It's not my experience. It's not my opinion. It's not traditions of men. It's not lifeless dead religion. It's not a dead letter. It's the living word of God that has the ability to complete. Now, I thought I was complete. Yes. Well, which is it? I am complete or I need to be completed? The answer is yes. What Jesus has done in you, what's next? Walk in it. Draw it out. This is what he's talking to him about. He said, you know the scripture. Timothy, you know the scripture. You know the scripture and you've known the scripture from your childhood. Man, I, I empathize, sympathize with Timothy. I look back at his life and it looks a lot like my childhood. Even to the point where Paul wrote to this young man in this letter, and he said, he said, there's a genuine faith that's in you. And you know who it reminds me of? Your mother and your grandmother, which is what every young boy wants to hear from their, men, their mentor, right? Their mentor. You know who you remind me of? Mama. Folks, I can't tell you how many times I've heard it. I've heard it throughout my whole life. What's he saying to him? Bro, you, boy, you've known these scriptures. 
You've known the word from the time you were little. You know what it has the power to do. You know that there's salvation in it. You know that the word is profitable. Only something that's alive is profitable, is able to produce. And he said, it's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. And it has the power to do what? Look at it again. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There it is again. What is it that equips us? It's the word. It's the word that equips us. It equips us for our calling. It equips us for the job that he's called and created us to do. It's our equipment for this life. Let me give you a really good, deeply rooted in the scriptures example of this. Do I have any James Bond fans? If you go back, I don't know how many Bond movies there are, but I'm talking, if you go back all the way to the beginning, I mean like, Back to the beginning, like Sean Connery, Bond, James Bond. I'm talking like in every one of these films, you remember this, don't you? Those of you who watch these, there's a scene in every movie just before the big mission where Bond, I told you this was deeply spiritual, so Bond has to go see Q. I hear some guys. Okay, good. Thank you, fellas. I appreciate that. When Bond goes and sees Q, the head of Q branch, who is Q? Q is the one who is the head of research and development. He's the one that's the head of technology. He's the guy that gives Bond all the gadgets, all the gizmos. Does anybody remember this, right? And he gives Bond, he says, now, now Bond, here's, here's your watch. Now, it looks like a watch, but really... I mean, whatever. It's a laser that will, you know, melt metal. Okay, great. Now here, Bond, here's your cufflinks. Now I know these look like cufflinks, but really, what is it? It's a bomb that can blow up enemy headquarters. Okay, well, here's a car, but what is it really? Well, this thing will spit oil out the back and shoot missiles at the headlights. What's happening? Bond's being equipped. Are you with me? He's getting the equipment. Now, when you're watching these movies, and if you've seen more than one of them, you start to pick up on it. What do you know Bond is about to need? He's about to need a watch that shoots lasers. He's about to need some cufflinks that blow stuff up. He's about to need a car that shoots missiles out of the headlights, right? How do you know he's about to need that? Because this is the equipment he's getting. How does Q know that Bond is about to be in some situation where he's going to need a watch that can blast a laser through a metal door? See, we know what's coming according to the equipment that he's being given. Are you connecting any dots yet? The word of God. Oh, it may look like words on a page, but don't be fooled. This is weaponry. This is equipment. This is what you are about to need. How do you know I'm about to need this? Because it's what he's given you right now. And I'm finally waking up to some of this, church. I'm finally connecting some dots. A year and a half, 
almost two years into this thing, I'm realizing whatever the Lord's saying to us together in our time on Sunday morning around his word, guess what? It's about to happen. And if he starts talking persecution, guess what? <laughs> guess what's coming? But while we're talking about it, we're getting equipped. Oh yeah, I know. It looks like a, it looks like words on a page. It looks like just a Bible verse, but don't you be fooled. No, 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 no. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. Mightier than a watch with a laser beam and cufflinks, the nuclear bomb. I don't know. But what you're getting in here today is equipment for what you're about to need. You're getting some equipment for a fight that might be around the corner. And you do not want to go into that thing ill-equipped. You want the equipment that comes with the Word of God. Amen? But I want you to notice, back up a couple of verses. Verse 16. He said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The uh, NIV says all Scripture is God-breathed. That's what the word inspiration literally means. Theonustros. It's a Greek word meaning God and breath. Scripture is God breathed. You can take a balloon that's limp and lifeless, but when you breathe into it, it takes shape, it takes form. But then when you tie that thing off and it, it keeps that shape, what is it that's keeping and sustaining that shape? It's the breath that you put into it. Literally, you're in there. There is a part of you, if they could somehow analyze it and dissect it, it would be you inside it that gave it its shape and that's sustaining it. It's breath. That's what the Word of God is. It came through human writers, but it was the breath of God breathing on them. This is more than words on a page. It's inspiration. And it gets its shape and it is sustained by the life of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is God breathed. But listen, this is part of our equipping. It's profitable for these things, doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Again, listen to the NIV. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What, what are we getting equipped with as we hear the word, as we receive the word? The first thing he said here, the word is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine. This just means teaching. Church, you can't just make stuff up. I know that sounds simple, but I am amazed. I am amazed at the stuff Christian people fall for. Amazed at the stuff that Christian people let come out of their mouths and believe it's true that has no foundation in the Word of God. 
Doctrine from the word means you can't just make stuff up. You can't just make something up based on somebody else's experience. You can't make something up based on what you experienced. You can't just make stuff up. When I was about 20 years old, I had some friends that bought me a t-shirt one time and the t-shirt just said, I make stuff up. (laughs) And at first I laughed and then I was like, wait a second, I can't wear this. I can't walk around with a t-shirt on that basically says I'm a liar. And as believers, you can't just make stuff up. I don't care if it rhymes. You're laughing, but you would be amazed at the stuff that gets preached from pulpits and people shout amen in response to it that has no foundation in scripture, but they go for it because it sounds so right and it rhymes. Rhyming is not what makes something true. You can't just make stuff up. The word is good. It's profitable. And part of your equipment is the truth. It's the truth. In a world full of deception, what equipment do you need to get the job done? The truth. You've got to have the truth. What does the Bible say? You ought to be asking yourself that all the time. What's the Bible say about that? What's the Bible say about that? What's the Bible say about that? And I've come to appreciate this even in these last few days more than I ever have before in my life. We were dealing with a situation just over the last couple of weeks and we had to go before the Lord and say, Father, help us with this. A lot of it was new, things we hadn't experienced before even after over a decade of ministry together and and growing up here in the word and around the word, still this was new, so I need some equipment. And the Holy Spirit is like my cue And I kid you not, every day for, I would say, two weeks, the Lord has said, here's a verse, here's a verse, here's a verse, here's another one. Now here, look at this one in light of that one, and look at this one, understanding that one. And day after day after day, it's like Sarah and I, as we've done this together in our, in the living room of our home, just in the word, in the word, in the word, it's like, there it is. There's the equipment we needed. There's the watch that shoots a laser. There's a cufflink that blows stuff up. That's the weapon that I needed. There it is. There it is. Day after day after day, the word doing for us what only the word can do, which is equip us, equip us for the fight, equip us for the call, equip us for the work that he's called us to do. That's what the word does. And a lot of it goes back to this doctrine. It's important that you and I know the truth of the word. That's part of your completion. But he adds to it, not just doctrine. He says, rebuking, correcting, training, training in righteousness. Well, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Yeah, you are. And evidently, you and I need some training in knowing how to walk that out. We need some training to understand what that actually means. Yes, the day you made Jesus your Lord, you became the righteousness of God in Christ. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. He did. And you received it. Now what? Walk in it. Okay. How? Oh, you need some training? I guess. Okay. The word will do that. The word will do that. The word will train you in that. But here's what stood out to me 
as I was looking at this. Paul gave Timothy four things that the word is profitable for, that the word would do to complete him, that the word would do to equip him. And did you notice that two out of the four had to do with correction? It had to do with correction. He said it's good for doctrine, rebuking, correcting, and training. You know what that says to me? That 50% of what the word is supposed to be doing in our lives on a regular basis is correcting us. Now the question is, are you spending half of your time going, oh wow, I get that, I was wrong. Oh, I was wrong about that. Oh, I thought wrong about that. Oh, I said that wrong. I see that. Are we spending half of our lives acknowledging the correction that's coming from the word? Hmm? No, I don't think so. And yet this is so much of what the word does for us. And it, 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 through correction, it's equipping us. Through correction, it's completing us. And that was the end of chapter three, but Paul goes on in chapter four to say to him in verse one, listen to this. I charge you, listen to his words. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, verse two, preach the word. That's quite a buildup, isn't it? I charge you, he said, before the living God and his appearing in his kingdom. What's about to come, Paul? Preach the word. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Do what? Convince, rebuke, exhort. This is what's supposed to be happening as the word is being preached. Convincing. That's the exact same word translated just a few verses before, reproof. So two out of the three things that he told them to do here, he basically said, correct them, correct them, and, in, and exhort them. With all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Not the one or two or three that the Lord's anointed for them. A bunch of them. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Fables. It's the Greek word mythos. Myth. Making stuff up. Making stuff up and calling it Christian. Making stuff up and calling it church, making stuff up and calling it God. He said, that time is coming. When people will turn away. Why do you suppose people would turn away from this? Because correction is not fun. And people don't like it. And yet, it's 50% of what the word is active to do in our lives in an effort to complete, in an effort to equip. Are you okay? In the same 
chapter of 2 Timothy, well, I read that to you, preach the word, convince, reprove, rebuke, ex exhort. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. I I'm laughing because some of the stuff that Sarah and I, just in the last couple of years, I mean, we're still so new to pastoring, but just some of the stuff we've been told in the last few years, things like, I'm always weary when a statement starts like this, you know, the church should, the church is supposed to, that kind of gets my antenna up with people. And it's amazing to me how much people who don't, who've never started a church, never run a church, know about starting and running a church. It's amazing to me how much people who've never been in ministry know about running a ministry. You know, the ministry is supposed to. The church really should. The church is supposed to. And we had one person tell us one time, the church is supposed to gently correct. And you know, there is some truth to that. In the book of Colossians, you don't have to turn there, but in chapter one, this is where Sarah and I found the heart of our ministry over 10 years ago. The Bible says in Colossians chapter one, verse 28, him we preach. Talking about Jesus. Look at that. Him we preach. But I want you to notice what happens when, when you're preaching Jesus. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, what? Perfect, complete, equipped in Christ Jesus. How do you get to that shape of being perfected, equipped, and completed? It started back here when you were preaching Jesus to people, but in the preaching of Jesus comes this warning. Now this word warning literally means to put into the mind, to caution, or to reprove gently. Gently. So while Jesus is being preached, and Paul is saying, I'm preaching this to everybody, if you were to ask Paul, well, who's your demographic, Paul? Who are you aiming to reach here? He would have told you, everybody. I want them all, man. And I'm preaching Jesus to all of them. But with the preaching of Jesus comes this warning, comes this gentle warning. But then if you study the rest of scripture, you find that there are other words that have to do with, with correction. Here's the word warning. You've got the word reproving. The word correcting itself if you look it up, it literally means a, a straightening of the line, which really took me back to my childhood. When I would hear my mom, boy, my, my mom would say, boy, straighten up. Anybody else? Come on, straighten up, straighten up. Where's that come from? There's something wrong here that needs to be corrected. So you've got the gentle warning. You've got, come on, straighten up. You've got words that mean convince or to offer proof of what is right. But then he says in Titus chapter one, we'll put this on the screen for you. Verse 10, he said, there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not, for the sake of dishonest gain. He said in verse 13, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. 
That's not a gentle warning. That's not the voice of a mother saying, all right, it's time to straighten up. He said, rebuke them sharply. The word rebuke means to convict, to convince, to tell a fault, to say what you did was wrong. But listen, he added the word sharply to it. That word means abruptly, severely, curtly. Here's a word I had to look up, peremptorily. And I found out that word means to say it in a way that expects to be obeyed immediately and without any questions, which also takes me back to my childhood. <laughs> Can you see what I'm saying to you here? That what the word does in its teaching of doctrine and instruction of righteousness, alongside that comes correction. And in that correction, there are varying degrees of it. There's everything from a gentle warning to an offering of what the word says is true in light of what somebody's been saying or doing wrong, all the way to this sharp rebuke to say something in a way that demands immediate obedience without asking any questions. So how do you know? As a minister, how do I know what kind of correction is required. As a believer, how do we know what kind of correction we need at the time? How do we know? Well, it all depends on how close to the cliff you are. It all depends on how close to the edge you've gotten. Let's say you and I are in a car and you're driving. I'm not in control. Thank God, which is not the role of the pastor. I'm not looking for control of anybody's life. My hands are full with mine. I'm not trying to control you or anybody else. I offer the word. Well, let's say we're driving and you're doing about 80, 90 miles an hour down a straight road. And let's just say this road is just straight, 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 straight. And it just goes and goes and goes. Except in about 10 or 12 miles, I happen to know that it goes right to the edge of a cliff. And it is a 500 foot drop from there. Now let's say we're miles and miles and miles from it, but you're doing what? 80, 90 miles an hour. I might say to you, now, hey, you know, if you stay on this road, there's a cliff on up there. I just thought I'd mention it. But if you don't respond to that and we just keep going for about, I don't know, seven, eight miles, I might say something else to you but it might come out a different way, right? I might say something to you like, listen to me. Do you remember a few minutes ago when I told you there's a cliff ahead of you and that you might want to think about slowing down here, that maybe you're moving too quickly? Now it's getting closer and I just wanted you to know that. Now, if you hear that and you don't do anything in the world with it and you just keep flying and you get to a couple hundred feet before the edge of that cliff. If I love you, I'm not going to compliment your shoes and shirt before I offer correction. I'm not going to say, well, a church should be gentle. So let me see. First of all, love you so much. Uh, secondly, 
those are sweet shoes and you're really great. We're dead. How do you know what kind of correction you need? How do we know as ministers and as believers, what kind of correction needs to be offered where we're at in life? What kind of correction needs to be received? It depends on how close you are. It depends on how far we've gone. Not heeding the gentle correction, not heeding the, Hey, straighten up, not listening to the convincing. And we've gotten all the way to the place where the only thing that might save somebody's life is a rebuke in a way that gets attention. Folks, I've had people leave me over this because I didn't like the way I said something. And I just want to say to him, but don't you know it's because I love you? Don't you know it's because we were a few feet from the edge of the cliff and I didn't have time to couch it in sweet tone? There wasn't time to make sure it was all fluffed up in a way that tasted good going down. How far we have gone. In the book of Hebrews, musicians, you guys come. The book of Hebrews makes this so clear. You know, you've got this 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews that is that great hall of faith and person after person who lived by faith and worked by faith and did this by faith and conquered by faith. And you get all the way to the last verse of that chapter. And it says in verse 40 that God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us not completed apart from us. And he goes into chapter 12 saying, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at verse five. He said, and, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves he chastens and scourges, somebody say, ouch, scourges every son whom he receives. Verse seven, here's the key. Here it is right here. If you endure it, if you endure the correction, if you endure the chastening, if you endure, if you stay with him through the warnings, if you stay with him through the rebukes, if you stay with him through the reproofs, why would you stay with him? If somebody's reproving you, why would you stay? Because it's proof he loves me. It's proof I'm his kid. It's proof I'm his son. It's proof he receives me. I'm not leaving him. I'm not unhooking from him. I'm not despising the correction. This is part of my equipment. I need this stuff. If you endure the chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten, doesn't correct? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. 
Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? I won't go off the cliff if I'll just receive the correction. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit. The word is profitable that we may be partakers of his holiness. Verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful, painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Did he really just use the word painful? Painful? You need to watch out when you hear people say things like, I've been hurt. I've been hurt by a leader. I've been hurt by a church. Used to, I would hear that and I would think, wow, I wonder what they did to you. Now I hear it and my first thought is, do you mean you got corrected? Do you mean somebody loved you so much? that they were willing to stick with you and they were willing to gently warn you years ago. And, and when we didn't quite get it right, they stayed with you and they, and they, they offered a, a reproof that said, now listen, here's what the word says. Here's what the word says about it. Here's how you've been acting. And it's not right because the word says like this. And yet, even when there was no change, they stayed with you all the way to the edge of a cliff. And they loved you so much that they offered a sharp rebuke in an effort to save your life. Is that what you mean the church hurt you? Now look, I know. I know people have been through different things. And I know people truly have been hurt. But I'm just telling you that you and I are going to have to grow up. We're going to have to grow up. And we're going to have to, how do you even say it, Lord? Love correction. Love it because if it's true, that's what we want. And I know it doesn't feel good. It's even painful at times. But instead of getting hung up on that, where's our attention? On what it's producing. It's going to produce something in my life. I'm going to walk out of this thing better equipped than I've ever been before. Thank you, pastor, for loving me. Thank you, minister, for loving me. There's a big reason I say this to you right now. When Brother Keith came to our church when I was a little kid, year after year, you could hear the ooze and the oh and the ouch that would just rumble through the crowd as he would minister the word. There's such an anointing on that ministry to bring correction, but never one time did it come without being soaked in the love of God. And I know there are people that have, oh, did you, he even said it, I think in that clip today, did he not? Some folks have left. Everybody's been through that. It's okay. But so much of the time it comes back down to this. He got corrected, didn't like it. And instead of letting the correction equip you or equip them, they chose instead to go find a teacher or a preacher 
that would scratch the itching ear. Are we growing up? I'm so excited. I told you over the last couple of weeks, the Lord's helped Sarah and I so much with word after word after word, and a lot of it was correcting, wasn't it? We saw some things we did in the past that set us up in a way we didn't need. We saw some things that really corrected our thinking, really corrected the way we were approaching some things and brought correction to our lives. But instead of being angry with God about it, we're thankful. Thank you, Lord. That hurts so good. You've been there before. Would you come? What was it you were telling me just before we came out here today that Brother Hagen said? He said that we must all maintain a teachable spirit and how far that will take you in every area of life. And um, I've just found this out um, working with people over the 15 years we've been in ministry is that you can go all the way with someone. You can, you can work with them till the end. You can stand by their side if they'll maintain a teachable spirit, a heart of humility, a genuine tenderness to God. Uh, just lay down pride. Someone will just fall on their face before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to know your truth. I'm willing to hear. I'm willing to make little adjustments all along the way. These are the people you can, you'll never quit on. You can't, you don't have to. As long as there are ears to hear and a heart, oh, tenderness on the inside. Man, God loves humility. He loves it. But the Bible says in Obadiah that the pride of one's heart will deceive them. And that's a really sad place. And we've had to come to that point with people in life where we couldn't even say anything more to them. And we just pray. We say, Lord, we ask you to help them. Help them where they're at. We endeavor to show mercy, pour out mercy on people. But as long as we will all maintain a teachable spirit, guess what? We'll live a long life yeah. too. Yeah. A long, fruitful life. I was just reading in the Psalms about the, the Lord anointing us with fresh oil. And all through that passage, he says, I will anoint the horn of my anoint. I will anoint the horn of my leaders. I will anoint you with fresh oil. And it's so good because it goes on to talk about how those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of their God. They will still be flourishing into old age. What is that? Someone that just has maintained a teachableness their whole life. They love the courts of the Lord. They love the house of God. They love the word of God more than anything else. The psalmist also said, one thing I desire, that will I seek. That I would behold the beauty of the Lord in the sanctuary. That I would dwell in the courts of the Lord all the days of my life. To be there and what? To meditate on your word, to hear your word, to love your word, to, to be and remain teachable. Amen. 
And you know what Sarah and I are saying to you this morning is we will stick with you. As pastors and ministry leaders, we will stick with you. Whatever it is you go through, and we do, we go through things in this life, and we will stay by your side. The only thing required is a teachable spirit. And I also want you to know that we have people in our lives. We have elders that we have gone to and said, please correct us. When you hear us say something that is out of line, when you see us do something that does not represent the Lord Jesus the best, I'm asking you to correct us. And we've had this conversation with the Lord and you can have that conversation with him too. And the truth is, if the only thing you and I ever hear from him is exactly what we wanted to hear or exactly what we expected to hear, we may not be listening close enough because at least half of the time there's something coming from him that either is a gentle correction or all the way to a sharp rebuke. But can you just say this? I'm open. Would you stand up with us? If you mean that today, would you just pray that out loud? Say, Father, I'm open. I'm open to correction. I'm open to instruction. I'm open to direction. Speak to me, Lord, through your word, by your spirit, through ministry gifts. My ears are open. I will endure. I will endure chastening because you love me. I will endure correction because of what it produces in my life. I want this, Lord. I need this. I want the equipping that comes with your word. So I'm open to you. I'm open to you. Just lift your hands and say that to the Lord. You, just between you and him, just let him know you are open to it. You have a teachable spirit. Anything he wants to say, any way he wants to say it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.